of Christ is a prayer for this very moment now as we stand before or sit before God's Word. Do you believe that your life could be changed in the next 35 minutes? Do you believe that something could happen in, in order that your mind and your thinking changes, not because of some great plausible argument that I make, but because in this time of interaction where primarily I'm speaking and you're listening, and I, in, I encourage you if you can to take notes and to have a Bible open, and I invite you to turn and, and take one of the black Bibles, and if you don't have one, we want to give it to you as a gift, but if you turn to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This morning could be a morning that God would use. Because what I'm bringing to you this morning is not my words or the words of a great philosopher or a great, the words of a, just a, a great classic. It's the inspired word of God by the Holy Spirit. of a series on the church covenant. What that means is we are people that gather together and we say, Jesus is our head, we have committed to follow him, and we've committed to follow him as he told us to follow him together. And we are committed to our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Faith Church Linden. And so in our covenants, we say things like, we will purpose, we will promise, we will, with our, all our efforts, to strive for the advancement of the church in knowledge and holiness. It's, it's on the back of your bulletin I'm reading. And in love, and to promote its prosperity and its spirituality. We, we will attend its services regularly and to sustain its worship and ordinances and discipline and doctrine. Big words, and I wonder what those mean. We will give it sacred preeminence over all institutions and ordinance. And we will purposely purpose to give faithfully of our time and talents in its activities and contribute cheerfully. As we just took an offering, we will contribute cheerfully and regularly as God has prospered us in the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel. Spread all nations. This is what we pledge to the people. Pledge much more than that, and we do it based on this book, God's Word. But I, I want you to think about this, this statement. I recently heard that it was said that materialism, not the philosophical materialism, if you go that direction, but just the basic popular term materialism, I love money, or I want possessions, or material, material things. Materialism is the stupid philosophy in which people invest everything and what will one day become nothing. Let me say that again. Materialism is that stupid philosophy in which people invest everything in what will one day become nothing. It's kind of humorous, and, but it's true. And I want to ask you this morning, what things in your life do you seem to be investing in? And maybe investing everything, if not everything, too much, but in one day will be nothing. Could it be sports or sports teams? Could it be your 
investing in your body that someday will be nothing because I've wasted and said that you won't use your diet. You won't use your workout routine to do that. Could it be your social media attention that you're investing so much in or your vacation or your career or your bank account because those bank accounts will provide something else, security and satisfaction and significance and safety. Your health, your food, your drink, your movies, some of these things you invest too much. the expenditure of your energy. Now, the text in front of us this morning speaks about our investing in something that lasts forever, ever. Meaning it's not gone when you die. You're investing in something that has eternal consequences. The things that this passage addressed this morning in Galatians chapter 6, they, well, I'm going to bring to you three of them. And, and they all relate to investments in eternity. One of them is so difficult to do. They're all difficult to some degree. One is so difficult to do. And, and sometimes we don't even try. We, we might feel bad about it because we don't do it because sometimes we don't know how to do it or we're afraid that we're going to make things worse. And frankly, this first one that I'm going to talk about just doesn't seem very so intolerant, judgmental, nosy. Second, while it's very popular for any of us to talk about this in any type of community, um, we all will agree with it on, in theory. We're going to say, of course, it's the right thing to do. But actually, it's not so easy when you really start to try to carry it out. Very intimidating. It says here, Lord, we don't even want to try to do it. That hurts. Third is third commitment is really unpopular to at least focus on for a pastor or a church. You might see it on a, a television screen where you tune in and they tell you to text in your, your number to, in order to give. But this is unpopular focus and it's the source that people have of criticism to pastors and formal religion. It can be an excuse to many to avoid church because they just say they just want my money. They're self-serving and wrong. That's all they like to talk about. All three of these commitments, all of which we've talked about in Galatians chapter 6, are the Holy Spirit working in every Christian's life. If you are a true Christian that has been saved by repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus Christ, you have been given God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is now dwelling in you and is going to help you grow to be more like Jesus. It's going to change the things you love, and it's going to change the things you hate. You will love the things that God loves, and you will hate the things that He hates. We will be committed to the things He is committed to. And, we, and the more we look to that Holy Spirit and rely on Him, the more we feed that Holy Spirit and sense and live by it and lead it, it will lead us towards what we call the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and kindness and gentleness. We, we 
commitments that I'm going to talk to you this morning from Galatians 6 are commitments. There are ways of sowing to the Spirit. Think of investment. Think of investment in one account. And this account is actually going to be invested so that it's going to produce a yield and and an investment that can compound and grow and you will be able to have it forever and it lasts and it's really good. And this one will, you invest, you will get some reward now, you will feel the immediate thrill of something, but in a very, very short time it's gone and you'll even forget you ever even had it because you didn't have to work for it. So Paul even writes and says, don't be tricked by Christ. Don't, God is not going to, you can't snub your nose at God. What you sow, you will also reap. The one who sows to the flesh will reap that to corruption, perdition, barn. Those who sow to the Spirit will reap life everlasting. See, all three of these commitments I'm going to share with you this morning are commitments that we need with the Holy Spirit's help, and they all point us to the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. All three of these point us to Christ. They're commitments, they're practices. They're what we, these are responsibilities that the church is called to, and they require the Holy Spirit to help us, and they are sowing to the Spirit. So will you look with me at this passage, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. The first commitment is in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a tra- any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Commitment number two. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So let each one test his own work, and then he'll reason to boast of being himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Commitment number three. Let the one who has taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, you'll also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary. Let's not give up doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. So do you see the commitments here? There's at least three. There's maybe more, but I want to highlight three this morning. The three that come from verses 1 through 6, and I think 7 and 8 and 9 speak to all of these, especially the sixth one, but I think it relates to the other two as well. These are the three commitments. You have them in your notes. These are highly practical and they relate to our lives. And in fact, 
our church will see a difference if we are living them out, and we'll see a difference when we're not living them out. One, I praise them in the first person, and Joe, you are committed to doing what God says. That's what you're called to do. Number one, I will be committed to relationships that introduce them to life. Two, I will be committed to relationships that include loving burden bearers. Three, I will be committed to generous investment in my spiritual leadership. Maybe three, let's take another look. The most focused will be on probably one, maybe even two. Number one, I will be committed to relationships that include gentle restoration. Look at verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep, keep watch on yourself. Lest you too be tempted. This passage clearly says you are you have a responsibility. When you find somebody caught in a transgression, and they talk about that, the nature of that, a sin, whatever it is, if, there's, if a brother or a sister is caught into certain sin or action that you know is dishonoring to God, you have a responsibility to gently, carefully, spiritually restore that person back to you. Can any of you in this room think of any excuses why you wouldn't do that? I want you to think of somebody. Well, don't do that. That won't be helpful. No, think, think of a scenario that could be possible in your life. You observe somebody. They, their conscience is free to drink some alcohol, but you actually have gotten to know them and you see that not only are they drinking it responsibly and moderately, but they another person, you catch them coming to church a week after week after week, and you get into their lives and you see that there's something wrong, you're really burdened about this affecting their path, it's concerning to you. Another person, you see on Facebook post something, and you it's not just some like gray area, oh, I just don't think that's the most appropriate, but you look at that and you go, when you see your friend, your brother or sister in what seems to be clearly sin or some sort of behavior that dishonors God could really hurt their family by their behavior and definitely hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ because others know that they're a Christian. Can you think of any excuses for why you wouldn't someone else should do it, or I'm sure someone else will approach the situation. I'll let the pastor take the lead. Or, I don't want to cause someone to feel uncomfortable. Or, I just think, you know, I know it will go bad if I talk with that person about that. And it might 
right your wrongs. Some people that make it worse. Who don't want the baggage that will go along with that confrontation. Then I'll be stuck on it, and then it's just it's not going to go away easy. start accusing me of things. But you and I will. Because God knows all these excuses. Some that should impact how we approach the subject, surely. But he has, but God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in his book, Brother. If anyone is caught in any trespass, any objection, use your spiritual to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, that you may also receive mercy. There's a lot packed in this verse, but it's not. I like what Tony Merida, who wrote in that little commentary on Galatians, he just divided it up in two categories. I'm going to give that to you. First of all, do you see the context of this, this restoration? Family. Starts out by saying, brothers. Really, you could say, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, you are in a family. And in the context of this church family, that's who he's writing to. He's writing to this church in Galatia. He says, you, you are who are brothers and sisters of Christ. You are to do this. This is within a household. You need to think of yourself as a family. And you love your family. You see your family member hurting and struggling or in a bad or terrible situation. You care for them. At the end of the passage, chapter 10, he says, you should do good to all, but especially those who are in the home or in households. Hey, I will say, he says, you have some faith that you should care about that kind of thing as well. You see also what he needs for restoration in this passage? He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, James 1 says that sin is so tricky, it deceives us, and we get desires, and we desire after something, that is not right or is too much, and we get drawn in them and ensnared. And when sin, desires take root in a wrong way, it brings sin, and sin then is the thing that brings forth death. Paul says, if you find a believer, brother or sister, in a transgression, in sin, they deceive you. Do you realize that sin really tempts you? Do you realize that sin is our biggest problem? And my point, too, I'm going to say to you, we need to characterize those burdens. Some of you have heavy, weighty burdens on you. It might be just the heavy burden that Jeremy's carrying. Maybe it's just praying for him. I wish we could just take some of his burdens off. And some of you have burdens of, of cancer or you have burdens of other treatments that are so difficult. And we want to help and we are to, we are to bear one another's burdens and help meet needs. There's no more problem that any one of us can have than sin that's not addressed, not repented of, sin that's ignored, and a conscience that is hardened and, and ignored and greatly damaged. I think here that Paul is not talking about being a mystical person or a self-righteous person or a righteousness police. 
grumpy. I need to approach him. I saw that he was a little short with her in the kitchen. I need to catch him in the transgression. I need to restore him. Okay, calm down, buddy. There is a time and place where we go, he might have had a bad day. I've never seen this side of him before. Let's pray for him. And then we pray accordingly. But when we see a brother or a sister falling short of the target in, in our lives all the time. Our, we, we do not honor God like we should. And sometimes that comes out in patterns and ways. And God intends for our brothers and sisters to, to get us to be close enough in their lives so they'll see it and they'll point it out. Because we are, we are sinners. And even though we've been saved, we still have iniquity in our hearts and in our moral uncleanness. And we need God's every day to help us. We could, this word transgression really means we were rebelling against God. We are willfully choosing, or it could be that we're deciding to not do this and ignore God's way. So often this happens that we don't even see it. Because you see, sin has such a deadly effect in our lives that we all can experience something called Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness characterized people that do have a problem, but they can't see their problem. Have you ever goofed up? You look after a year, you look back and go, that was dumb. I, I was living this way and I didn't even see it. And then she pointed it out to me and I was mad at her. She was so judgmental, I thought. sin in our lives so often it blinds us to actually see ourselves as we really are and we find that we're the greatest gift of God. Is the gift when God uses another person, uses the preacher, uses you sitting before the word of God and all of a sudden your mind goes, I've been wrong in this area and I'm convicted of this area and I have been guilty of it. And we need to pray God, when there's a need, we this this week. For example, if a brother or sister is addicted to something, you can seek the help. If something, someone is working an excessive amount of time and neglecting family, then you could come alongside of them to help them. If a man is involved in a relationship that is dating, then confront him gently. If a sister has missed corporate worship and gathering for a month or longer, you just see that you, you could at least receive a phone call and just come and just talk to them. Really. Be a person who cares for your brothers and sisters, not one who tries to be everybody's accountability partner. That's not what we're saying here. Um, we need to heed what is also written in James. James writes in James 5.19, My brothers, if any among you wanders sinfully, why? Because in churches you will have that among your fellow members and brothers and sisters. If anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and recover what he lost. Uh, this is, he's saying, you, you do a great good, you, 
to bring it into the restorative grace that God provides. Would you think for a minute, first of all, you might be a person that this message, this church involves, you need to do justice. You need to give compensation. Or some of you know somebody that you're really burdened for and you've neglected talking to her or him about it. I want you to see the nature of the restoration of how we're supposed to do it. The passage does not say you should take the great, the, the, the largest fat check you have and just whack him. And you say, get with the picture. Stop it. No. What does it say? He that's spiritual, restore in gentleness, be careful, watching yourself, lest you also be tempted. Three things. We're to be spiritual, careful, gentle, and careful. We're to be spiritual. And what he's not saying is, in a church, you have a segment who are pegged the spiritual people, and then you're supposed to go to those people and say, I saw my brother over there. I'm not spiritual. Can you take care of that? That's not what Paul says. He is graciously assuming that we're all needing to go, that we're all called to be spiritual. That means led by the Spirit of God, trusting in Him and having faith in Him. He says, he that is spiritual, because you can't do it when you just are filled with your own selfish flesh. I'll say this as a parent. If your kid is messing up, do you want to get at him? saved me, I'm still a work in progress, but I love my brother and I'm burdened for him. In fact, as I go to him, I'm going to actually expose certain things in my life and it's going to get messy and it might get hard and I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to care for this person. I'm going to do it in gentleness. That gentleness might come in the form of asking a question because you don't assume that they're wrong maybe. Maybe it's a gray area, you're not sure, but it's been bothering you for a while and you call that person or you get together Preferably in person, and you say, Hey, I, I wanted to ask you something. I noticed that I think I've seen this in your life. You've said this a couple times. I just want to tell you that I don't trust anyone that questions often what accusations that they're right to the point of being convicted. He says, Do it with gentleness and do it carefully. Look what he says carefully so that you don't go into that you aren't tempted. I think what he's saying is tempted and caught. If I caught him in a sin, well, better take care of it. I'm a great spiritual father figure in my life. How many parents have accused your children of selfishness because you don't want them to have a burden? How many of you have accused somebody of a certain way? See, we, we often go anybody except our kids, we feel comfortable about that. We used to be yelling at them. They have to take it. They won't leave yet. This passage says with wisdom and care and gentleness. I like what Martin Luther, who is not known to be gentle, he wrote, 
that Ruth Ruth has not done is to run onto Naomi, her brother, and reach out your hand and raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. The gentleness of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to just say that there is no deserved story to do with a broken bone being healed, put into place, and be brought back to what it used to be. The restoring is bringing a person so that they could deal with their problem and then be brought into a right place and back to a great relationship with God and one another. The goal of all this is the same as bringing you right and to help that person be spiritually made right and thank you to Jesus at the end of her own life. There is only one way to restore There's only one response that God wants from us when we're made aware from our sin. At least one first and primary response is for us to confess our sins and to name what we did and repent of our sins, meaning make a change from that. Repentance might mean going to the person that we've sinned against and, and confessing that sin and making restitution when we've done something that we need to make right. But it's all coming from a confession and a humbling ourselves before God for you and for one another in this room and in this language. I also want to ask you this question. Are you are you a restorable person? Easily restorable? Or or, or if someone approaches you, they already know. If I go to her, it won't work. It never will. If I go to him, He'll storm up and he'll never talk to me. And he'll, he'll just, he'll run. I pray that this message would humble you today. Be, be humble. Really careful and patient with the issue. Do you, let me ask you a few simple questions. Do you think there's
someone would need to confront you? Are you the one who's being confronted? Being honest takes a different joy of my salvation, and God gave him the joy of his salvation. David wrote in another psalm, let a crisis strike me and consume me. Let him rebuke me with oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. As we learn that he needed people in his life. Churches need, if we're going to really be a loving body to one another, committed to a type of discipline of one another. But Paul moves on to another kind of burden, and he says, I will be committed to relationships that include loving burden bearers. So look at verse 2, bear with one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something, then he's nothing. Verse 1, we see there's a burden, it's the work of sin. Now we see that, well, all of us are going to have burdens. Burdens are things that come into our lives that we have to bear. At the end of this passage, he's going to say, you each have to bear your own load. I, I, there's a lot of, verses 4, 5, and 4 and 5 are hard passages to translate in English. But verse 5 what Paul is saying, you each need to bear the necessary, be responsible in the load that God has given you. Take care of your family. Work hard. Do the things that are responsible. Care for these things. But you 
get closer in their life to receive burdens. Last week I said we have a responsibility to share when we have a burden rather than it costs ourselves. It's the way of the dove to one another by saying, hey, I'm sorry. Verse 3, notice verse 3, he's saying, Christ, don't think it's so important that you think it's okay. That's verse 3. It's nice when we live in translation, it says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself and you're not that important. Jesus refuses that kind of thinking. Is Jesus too important to help, to lay it down, to roll his sleeves up and serve? Jesus served and looked around in this church and thought, they don't look they look pretty good to me, but are they really helping me? Remember that? Just like you have looked pretty good to me coming to this church, inside you you have anxious thoughts that are overwhelming, you have burdens all over the place. to seek to care for one another, to know how we can help lessen the load and keep our brother or sister from getting hit by. I think verse 5, it's a hard verse to understand. We're real quick here. Actually, verse 4 is hard to understand. It says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be himself alone and not as others. Each will have to bear his own load. I think what Paul is saying, Take responsibility for yourself. Don't think you're so good to help other people. Help other people. But don't, don't help people comparing how other people are doing. Have you ever looked around and felt better about yourself because you thought, I'm doing more than she is. That's not how you should do it. And have you ever looked around and said, compared and said, Your boasting, his point here is not that you're boasting yourself that I get the glory, God doesn't get the glory. No, I, I think that each one of us besides our own gains for comparing and pride also because we're too good to just help anyone. Burdens each other, but that's so overwhelming. And instead, we have to make a decision. 
their spiritual perversion. In order to show compassion to the people who are like good ones, might seem kind of odd or out of place or weird. And Paul puts it this way, I'll be committed to generous investment toward the heathen. Verse 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who's teaching. This is a letter that really bad teaching is coming into the church. It's destructive. And it's keeping them from loving Jesus and loving one another. Paul's saying, teachers, teach the truth. Will you invest in God's kingdom? Will you sow to the Spirit? Will you invest in God's kingdom and the things that matter, especially the people that you love so dearly? And in verses 2 through 5, would you care by investing in their burdens? Would you love them and still fulfill the law of Christ? I didn't mention that. You fulfill the law of Christ to love your wife, to love your neighbors yourself. But lastly, would you just say yes to something God has said? The word of God that would feed you with truth, the word that would agree to the truth that you actually come to trust in Jesus, to find forgiveness in Christ, to you you love the teaching of the word that much that you see that your teachers are shared all good things. It has an idea of monetary giving financially in the church in Galatia, as well as caring for them. And I'm thankful for the host of this church, so graciously caring for me and the pastors of this church. I mean, I find throughout the scripture in Timothy, Paul says, we are to give double honor to those especially who give themselves to the teaching and well oversight. Here we find to the Spirit by committing to generous investment in the Spirit's leadership and teaching. That means that we must put ourselves under the Word of God. That means we love the Word of God. We care for it. And we're not going to mock God by ignoring it, by letting it be taught to us and put before us over and over again. Instead, instead, are you committed to the truth that we would be about the teaching of the Word of God? Are you putting yourself under the teaching of the Word? So much so that you would want to. You'd see that it's very natural for you to want to share all good things with those who teach. Are we embracing the truth? Teaching is lots of fun. But investing everything is what will one day be Are we investing in things like nice relationships? Okay, now you understand that. Because it's more comfortable caring about their souls that will last forever? Are we caring about our own comfort and our own cleanness and our own security or are we worried about or we care about loving and love that which holds us together towards God? Are we investing in matters of care of the spiritual and physical well-being of our brothers and sisters? Are we investing in the teaching of God's word? we would pursue salvation and restoration and the burden bearing of others and the teaching of the word sowing, investing what type of harvest do you hope to see in the next few years? Don't 
Let's rejoice in the truth that through the cross and resurrection of Christ, we have been freed from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, and we can live a spirit.
controlled and spirit-filled life that we have learned about this morning. So let's sing and rejoice in that truth. Yeah. 